And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Plus minus. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit there. <laughs> Plus minus. Curry driving again. Oh, Tell Marcus that he asked you know, that question about my defense. You hear that, Marcus? Anthony, you know me well, buddy. I have a great night. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Hello and welcome to a special edition. I'm calling this a Warriors plus minus podcast because this is just such a big win over the Detroit Pistons, I felt like. Uh, no, we need to do Warriors plus minus for the week. We have Marcus Thompson in like always. And Marcus, who is our special guest? We got a special guest? I don't know. Some tall black woman from Yale. What's her name again? Oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> Zena Kata. What up, what What's up? up homie? Uh yeah, are you please. wait a second, like on a scale of one to ten, like how sleepy was that game? Oh well, let's just put it in perspective that we were all in the media room way past halftime. <laughs> it was uh it was definitely one of those where whether you were in the arena or in a media room watching it from home and for lots of you listening, probably at the house. Yeah, same energy, y'all. It was it was pretty quiet throughout the game. Uh, the end was like at least mildly interesting because the Warriors almost blew it, and you know, just considering moment and like just really moment in this whole like dynasty run. Um, I thought they were gonna blow it. I, I literally thought I was like they're gonna lose this game. I'll, well, I'll give yeah, you I mean, perspective. I'll give you guys perspective. Yeah. As so, whenever the Warriors win. Uh, to do, we do interviews with the players, and I was responsible for the post game interviews. And the timing is five minutes remaining in the game is when I make my decision to go from press row down to buy the locker room. Okay, it's not a close walk, folks, but you have to be prepared to go down. At five minutes, I was still seated. <laughs> it wasn't until like three twenty two. I was like. Are they going to take it? Are they going to do it? I don't know. I mean, tonight looked it looked suspect. It looked suspect. It, it wasn't it wasn't until Clay Thompson decided to go 27-year-old Clay Thompson and just start locking everybody up on the floor. I thought the mm. uh you know, Steph Curry hits the two big three. They go from up 1 to up 7, which was like, you know, the separation point late. And that was at 117. Clay Thompson reaches and strips Kate Cunningham off his leg, turns into a turnover. And then it like, and then Steph hits a three. And then on the next possession, he closes out on a Bogdanovich, you know, three that would have been open, forces Bogdanovich to drive, slides with him. And at this point in his career, Bogdanovich is the type of player he can still guard, like a, a slower, bigger scoring wing. And he blocks him. Like it was a really nice, kind of like isolation block. Nice. Steph hits another three right after that and you know that to me is the game and it was clay's clay's defense is more of a surprise to me than Steph in the two threes I would assume. yeah i mean 
it, it was actually really good. I, I thought the K defense was impressive because Cade's been cooking dudes late in games lately. Uh, if you, if you watch the Pistons, like he's been really good down the stretch. Uh, and Clay stuck with him. And I do agree, I agree with you 1000%. Those are the type of players he can guard. Like even Cade, he's young, but he's not like quick. He's not, he's not like a first step dude. He's like a big guy. I think he's like six, seven, just like, uh, Clay. But yeah, he, he was like really good defensively down the stretch. I'm gonna like, you know, put a ceiling on the amount of praise because like doing it against the Pistons don't get you like all the team. And this team routinely, like they historically don't know how to finish games. So that's just what the Pistons do. You're is not, like blowing you're not at the impressed. end. You're not impressed by a win over now three and thirty two team. I'm just saying my my impress my impressed nature is tempered. Like it's not I'm not about to full on declare what a what a great sequence at the end. Like he locked them up. Like, yeah, they turn it over at the end. That's why they're three and thirty eight or whatever. Uh but it was an encouraging sign. If you put Clay on the right type of guy, especially because he you know, he can get lost off the ball. So he he does kind of still he's still kinda like a a pit bull in that sense where you want to put him on somebody. He locks in. He's gotten really good with the quick hands. Like, you know, he's gotten savvier, you know, even though his lateral movement is off a bit. If you put him on the right guy, Clay, Clay can still lock up. You just can't put him on point guards anymore. I feel like Clay does really well against methodical players, players whose movements are very purposeful, intentful. Like, they're not sporadic. And, well, you just, you know, you just didn't want to say slow like that. It felt a little I mean, kinder. no, but like, you, the, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, because, you know, Bogdanovich is not somebody that goes in the post, but we've seen Clay also D up well in the post lately um, and, and really, you know, hold his own in that way too. But I, I'm with you, Marcus, on like, you know, we can't give the Warriors too much credit to, you know, win this game. This is one of those that you're supposed to win. But I'm curious if you feel there, like you give them any credit in the fact that this was a back-to-back on a really tough game that went to the end against Denver. Yeah, I, was, I, I faded on that. I, I was initially like, man, y'all barely beating the Pistons. Like, get out of here. But this was a trap game. They are down two starters, two two key players, not two starters, but two key players on defense and then lost another. And this was the ultimate setup. So I, I definitely, I don't know, Slater, what do you feel? I feel like, you know, they got the win. They got an ugly win. They had to grind it out. Steph saved it. It wasn't impressive, but yeah, I, I, it warmed on me at the end more so than I, like, I'd during say the this. game. I was like, this is sad. I'd say this. Micro, like, God, they're not playing that well right now. And, like, you know, things feel like it's they're shaky. Uh, it should continue to feel like they're shaky because this wasn't an impressive win. But macro, they just played a Nuggets Pistons back to back and went one and one. That's kind of what should have been expected, right? You know, go one and one against yeah. the Nuggets and Pistons. So, um, and then the other thing, the other thing I'd say is um, like the West is mm. forgiving right now. That um, part, the, the 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 Timberwolves, the Timberwolves and the Thunder are, are a very sturdy one two. The uh, Clippers are are really hot right now. They're up to four and. Uh, Again, my brain is going. Who remind me who's at three? Uh, Denver, right? Denver, yeah, yeah, the, the team that just beat them, the defending champ. To me, those four 
at this point, even though we're not even halfway through the season, are uncatchable for the Warriors. But five right now is the Kings, the Kings that lost in the Hornets at home recently, the Kings that are thinking about making a Pascal Siakam trade, the Kings that I've been around them plenty don't feel that good about where they are right now and how they're playing and their you know, net rating and all that. They're the five seed. And then you start looking at like six, seven, eight. You know, you're talking Mavericks, you're talking Pelicans, you're talking – uh, you know, Rockets, uh, you know, some of these teams. The Lakers were 10. They're no longer 10. They lost again tonight to Memphis at home. And the Warriors are now 10. So, uh, just like, there's just so much, you know, everything remain, to me remains reachable up to five for the Warriors. So, I say that to say, like, yeah, you got to win over the Pistons. It was not impressive, but you needed to just mm-hmm. put it in the win column, and they did. You know, Slater, you bring up a good point, because I was just looking at the, the standings myself, and I'm like, yeah, I, I I do think the Warriors have to have some sort of a thought in their mind of what are we aiming for? Like, are we a team that's happy to be in the play-in or are we looking at ourselves, at, at, least, at least at this point, right? We're 17, 18. Are we someone that's happy to be in the play-in at, with what we have, with the inconsistencies that we've had with our lineup, with our team, with our roster? Or are we saying F that, there's still no excuse we're, there's a certain standard that we play at, and we need to be in the play the playoffs. Like, it, it, and it. So yeah, I think the answer to that the the answer to that is five six. Go after five six, and, and you know that's it's reminiscent of last year. You know they had a wobbly season and then got to the sixth spot because they kind of muscled up late and they got a what they felt like was a fortunate matchup in the first round. Won that and like you know. Like, we're kind of dangerous in the second round. Lost. Like, to me, that's the ceiling on this team. We'll see. Maybe they make a trade. But I think 5-6 is very reachable in this West, pretty obviously. So, um, are the, are the reach of, is the reachability impacted by the, the injury that happened tonight? Um, so, Chris Paul breaks his hand, for anybody who didn't watch, left hand. Uh, we'll get surgery next week. Indefinite at this point. I will call the timetable. But certainly going to be plenty of games. Um, I, I mean, it's... It's it's hurtful in in some ways, but the other thing is, I mean, we've talked about it plenty, and we're about to get into a larger Jonathan Kaminga discussion. I labeled the podcast Jonathan Kaminga and the Warriors, so we should probably talk about them. But um, like the depth on this team is the strength. It's also proven to be like an issue, as Marcus, you've written about plenty. Um, but the truth is, like more Brandon Pajemski minutes don't sound horrible. More Moses Moody suddenly going to be back in the rotation. Sounds like the fans are pretty pleased about that. They're chanting his name tonight in the third quarter to get him on the floor. Hey, so. I don't like that for Moody, man. I don't like that. I ain't like that at all. No, Warriors fans I need agree. to chill. You, you know what I'm saying? I, like he's not some make a wish kid from the start. Yeah, this is Slater, not some make a wish kid. The third. <laughs> like that dude is <laughs> an NBA player, it. man. Yeah, I mean, he's an NBA player. Don't be doing that to him. I didn't take it as that. He doesn't need pity minutes. I didn't take it as that. I took it as, like, you know, a plea from the fan base. Like, they think he can help. And they want to voice. They want to voice. The thing about it is is that it's, it's like one of those things that's like, you know, the chicken or the egg. It's like, okay, well, the fans were chanting, and then Steve Kerr puts him in. But Steve Kerr could have maybe already planned on putting him in the day. Like, you never know. Yeah, or, I don't know if you want the coach making decisions based on the crowd chance. That's what I'm saying, and that's what it sounds like. No matter what, it looks like that. It looks like the crowd bullied Kerr into it, which I clearly do not believe that was what happened. CP3 went out, adjustments were made, but it looks like that. And so it's like, 
I, I mean, I appreciate the fans calling for Moses because they want him to play, but that is what it's going to look like. Is like, oh, good old Moses. Like, yeah, I'm like, man, Moses job. too good for that, man. The last time I, I seen that Slater was Jeremy Lin. No, I see, where I think it's different is like you guys are talking about, like, remember when Taco Fall was on the Celtics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and the yeah. Celtics. The yeah. Celtics would be the Celtics would have a blowout win about to happen with three minutes left, and the yeah. Garden crowd would chant for him because it was like, "Hey, we want to see Taco Fall run out there, block a shot or something." Yeah, um, they would that do that with Bobon, and, and it was more like a circus yeah. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. not what this is. This is nine minutes. Left. I don't think that's this is what nine it minutes is. left in a close game. I don't. It's not. That. I don't think that's what it is. I think I think you're right, fans. I'm just talking about from Moody's perspective, like. I don't mm. think it. I, I don't think it's different for Moody. Like I don't think he's like. No, I understand what y'all doing. He's like, hey man, chill, man. First off, you pointing out right. that I want a bench, but it's secondly, so like I don't want to get in the game because y'all pressured the coach. You to, like yelling at the coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like your are bench right, or like from the bleachers being like, put my son in. It's like. You know, the fans. I get. That's why I'm like. I appreciate the fans doing that, but like, I don't know how Moses takes that. Of like damn, I guess I got in because the coach, you know. Yeah, that's a legit NBA player, man. He yeah, he didn't get in the game because he got pressured. I, I, I agree with you, Slater. I don't think that was the motive. That's just how I'm like, hey, man, Moses is too good for this. But I feel you. Uh, anyway, they didn't cheer for Jonathan Kaminga, who, who played a lot. That was a terrible segue, but I feel like we're Yeah, about terrible. Kaminga. That's okay. That's that's not, that's okay. You keep those yeah. for your articles, Marcus. <laughs> yeah. So he's. Uh, I mean, he's the story of the moment for the Warriors right now. Obviously, um, with everything that's happened in the last two days, he's kind of been at the been a, a flashpoint. With he's plays nineteen minutes. Everyone remembers against the Nuggets, including uh, no minutes in the last eighteen zero seconds in the fourth quarter. They give away the eighteen point lead. I think even in the moment we were all, you know, as that lead was dwindling in those final six minutes, wondering where Kaminga was. That was the talking point post game. Obviously, me and Shams come out with the article today uh, with, with Kaminga really, you know, pretty directly voicing, you know, the, his displeasure with, uh, you know, like Steve Kerr's lack of trust in him, I guess is one way I'd put it. And this obviously stems back a lot longer than, hey, just, you know, he didn't play the 18 minutes against the Nuggets. This, to me, goes back to the playoffs when uh, he plays really well for, I would say, the last two months while Andrew Wiggins misses, um, you know, he's gone from the team with, with the personal absence. Then Wiggins returns, Gary Payton returns, and, and Jonathan can make a fade from the rotation as the season goes down the drain last year. He's not even playing against the Lakers. Um there's been various other moments this year. The Portland game comes to mind when he's told he's out of the rotation completely, doesn't play the first 31 minutes, and then bang, you know, the, the final 17 minutes, he's the best player on the floor. Uh, he has started the last 12 games, so he, at this point he is a much bigger part of the picture. But uh, there's obviously a feeling from him that, that it's fluctuating, and it's fluctuating more than he'd like at this point in his career, which includes uh, – a it's an important financial point of his life. You know, extension eligibility is coming up this summer and that all leads into today where obviously he, you know, that story becomes a big topic around the team, around Steve Kerr. Uh, and then guess what? Steve Kerr plays in minutes tonight. And then coming talks plenty post game about how they had this meeting and they had a lot more positive quotes about the situation. Where do you guys want to go with it? I, I just tried to set that up for y'all. Whew. I mean, great breakdown. Um, I want to first talk about Steph's comment that I think is the biggest overarching thing around this. And I 
when you thought when you talk about the playoffs last year and leading into this year, it made me think of it. The biggest issue for me around this whole thing since the playoffs and then leading up into this moment is this narrative that's been created around Jonathan Kaminga that he is a like problematic in some way, right? That he is complaining about playing time or that he's a complainer in general, that he, you know, there, whatever, that his discontent has actually manifested into him not being a good teammate or not a good player or in some way. And I appreciate Steph saying this, like his, he said that he, you know, has the right to be pissed off about not playing last night. I think anyone that watched that game agrees with that. And I also agree with Steph that where you have to be careful in the decision that he made to say this out loud, that he was, un, you know, uh, not pleased or displeased with what happened, is that you have to be careful about the narrative that's being said about you or being said around you. Because no matter what the truth is, whether Jonathan Kaminga is like the equivalent of GP2 as far as like what the narrative around GP2 is, always positive, always a teammate, always, you know, whatever. Let's say they're the exact same. It doesn't help him in terms of that narrative to have this come out publicly, right? Where it does help is that it forced the conversation. And this is what you just wrote about, Slater, like literally like 20 minutes ago. Shout out to you being able to do all that. But like, it's great that it's forced a conversation between him and Kerr and that you're hearing that communication is key and that's all he really wanted and all of the above. And so I think that that's the biggest takeaway from since the playoffs last year, et cetera, there's been this like nagging narrative around Kaminga that I don't think is fair, but I understand why people have believed it from body language, from different things that they've probably seen. And I think that's what he needs to be careful about moving forward. Yeah, that that was Steph's larger point to him because Steph talked to him too. He said he they had a good chat about, you know, essentially how he handled it. And Steph was very clear that he agreed with <laughs> Kaminga. He's like, I mean, he said he probably should have played and was like, not probably. So he's like, he's not wrong. I think the part that I do think people miss is like, this is this dude's career, man. And in the past, he has had issues with, looking the part, right? And having the right spirit and having the right attitude while he's getting benched. Like there's, this has been a frustration for a while. I mean, Slater has been literally champion and Kaminga to get minutes since his first preseason, <laughs> like play Kaminga, play Kaminga. So the idea that he has to always and continue to be, you know, happy and smiling while his career is on the line, I think is unfair. I think Steph understands that, man, you do kind of got to fight for yourself sometimes. And and the difficult part is this year he was doing it right. Last year, Steph has given speeches of, like, don't get on the bus, right? Folk it. Like, you, if you don't want to win, don't get on the bus. If you think about yourself, don't get on the bus. And Kaminga comes into this year and he's been like the model kind of, he's done it all right. He's improved in that area. His the disposition is better like and then he was playing well and it still didn't work right so at some point it's got to be like yo so to steph's message to him was like you got to be careful about having other people speak for you go to the coach go to the general manager yourself go speak your piece you know like do that you control your narrative 
instead of letting other people talk to him. But and I, I, I think he's right. I mean, I do feel like people understand, like, this is his career. This is money on the line. And, and he's being told, you need to do this to play, and then you do it and you don't play. Like, like that that that's a legit reason to to fight for your career. I, I think it's legitimate. Now, that's on Steph and and Clay and them to handle that situation. So perhaps they could have handled this beforehand. But the, him speaking out led to that. It led to the like you said. It led to him talking to Kurt. It led to Steph getting involved talking about it. And now he's saying he loves it here and he wants to stay. Uh, and none of that happens if JK just sits quiet. But at some point. Every every man has a right to stick up for his career. He may not have handled it the, the the most ideal way for the team, but if the same team won't play him when he's playing well, like what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, can I just clarify also, real quick? Can I just yeah, clarify real quick? I want to make sure yeah. I'm saying I don't think that it wasn't good for you know the the benefit of his career or whatever. I'm literally saying that what happened is not good for the narrative around J.K. Not what's going on on the court. There is a narrative around JK. And when I when I mentioned that narrative, this is, and you're talking about the career, Marcus, you're absolutely right. That narrative also feeds into the money he can get, right? No that question. sort of no thing question. is what agents and, and GMs talk about when they're talking about, do we want to extend someone? If, they, if they're looking to trade them, it, what other teams want to put up with, right? Like those type of things are not necessarily just as important as what you're doing on the court uh, and his ability to get minutes to prove that he's good, but being able to make sure that he's not quote a problem child, which I agree it's unfair. But again, I'm just saying that this didn't help the narrative, not necessarily the fact that he wanted more time or whatever it was that he said that he wanted. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So the timing on this is all like really important here. Uh, it's a month till the trade deadline. It's pretty clear like the Warriors, Mike Dunleavy, Joe Lake, uh, you know, and really, you know, go down the list. Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, uh, Draymond Green. I think they're all assessing like the future of this thing and where it's going and which players might be gone and which players aren't going to be. Um, and if you're Kaminga, I think – it's pretty obvious, and I mean, he said it tonight, right, post game, because he plays 36 minutes, and he says, I love it here, and he had a great conversation with Steve Kerr, so he's feeling good about it, but he's mostly feeling good because he started and played 36 minutes, and if right. if that's his life, if that's his life with the Warriors, I think it's pretty clear he's very fine with that life with the Warriors, but if it isn't, if it's 19 minutes and bench for the whole fourth quarter, if there's moments where he's potentially sinking out of the rotation come playoff time, which happened last year, or, you know, even almost happened for a game this year. Um, then, you know, like, uh, you know, he wants to just be somewhere where he is. I, it seems to me, you know, a starter and playing 30 plus minutes on a nightly basis. Marcus Thompson, your favorite stat is now on the line Sunday because he played 36 minutes tonight, a season high. Will he get 30 minutes Sunday? I think that, that, that needs to be broken, I think, to, to, to really fully feel like, uh, you know, this is shifting in that direction. Well, last time, I'm, I'm going to reveal a little behind-the-scenes talk. Last time, I was telling him that it was going to happen because he played 30 against Orlando. And I was like, yeah, I think the streak is it's over. It's about to happen tomorrow. And he, you know, you could see the little bit of doubt in his face, like, what? Like, man, I'm not expecting anything, you know? <laughs> like, we know how it is, right? And so I was like, but no, nah, you play well. It's Denver, the athletes. So I was, like, fully on board, and then he played 19 minutes. And I felt like it was kind of my fault. <laughs> so I was, like, going there. I was like, I'm not saying nothing. I'm not saying nothing. He's like, no, nah, man, it's all good. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not saying nothing. We just going to see if it happened. But I'm, like, 0 for 3 predicting the end of this streak. So I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> so – I got this, this. This I think is the bigger picture question. Somebody put it in the chat. I mean, it's not. It's a topic we've discussed plenty, but you know, it is this whole Wiggins or Kaminga. Uh, it's not and. It's or. Um, and Steve Kerr still, you can tell, is hesitant to play him. I mean, entering tonight, it was minus sixty six and hundred thirty one minutes when they're on the floor together. They were actually a plus. I believe a plus seven tonight in six minutes together. It worked. Um, hmm. And maybe, maybe you'll see more of that. There wasn't a lot of Wiggins tonight because he didn't play well. One of five uh, shooting just didn't do much. Uh, but, you know, Kaminga made it clear post game. I kind of asked him, you know, did you discuss that part with with Kerr? Because, you know, I like, do you think you can play with Andrew Wiggins? And, and you know, he, he did kind of want to make it clear. He's not coming to, you know, try to take Andrew Wiggins minutes or, you know, coming into the office every day believing like, look, it's me versus him. But in some ways, they've declared just statistically, analytically, and they do use their analytics department a ton when they make lineup choices, that they're not sure if they can play these two together. So, again, it kind of worked for a night, but, like, where are you guys at on that whole dynamic? I mean, yeah. wait, oh, are you – wait, I actually don't know 
where both of you land on it. Because Anthony, you just said Wiggins or Kaminga, it's not and. Are you making that a statement or are you just saying that that's how it's going to be? No, that's, that's how, how, how Kerr is saying it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's... he's oh, got it. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, Marcus, go ahead. I mean, I'm, it's, I'm it's I clearly... <laughs> there's clearly issues with it, right? There's clearly mm-hmm. not... You know, it, it, it's not like automatic, right? It's not in that sense. But I also feel like part of that is lack of repetition. Part of that has a lot to do with who's playing around them. And part of that is it falls under this category of it is impossible for them to develop any type of chemistry and rhythm and that kind of telepathy that happens when you play with people regularly. They have nothing set. They have nothing set. Like I wrote about this today, like the end of games, they don't even know what they're doing half the time. They don't even know who's on the court. So I do think that lineup suffers from that because even when they're on the court together, sometimes it might be with TJD. Sometimes it's with, you know, Dario. Sometimes one is the center and one is like that part isn't even set. And, And that's part of the larger issue is they don't have anything established as this is what we do. I do feel like, though, especially if you're talking, if they get to the five seed and you got a first round matchup against the Clippers, right? Or if it's Denver or whatever, you get to the six seed. Mm. Whatever the matchup is, whatever the situation is, you're going to need Wiggins and Kaminga. Right. In a shorter rotation, right? So you, they got to figure it out or make a decision that you're not going to do one or the other. But uh, I acknowledge that it's it's not the most seem you know it's not it's not seem like it's not a a seamless transition like there's some difficulties with it but part of the difficulties is because of all these other issues and they probably just need to work that out but i think they should do it because you need wings you need wings to play well and you gotta you gotta i mean they're the worst like i haven't seen them look this poor in transition like they get on a fast break i do not believe they're going to score i don't believe they're going to score like, it's really that simple. Like, I just don't think a bucket is about to happen. And the two guys who could, like, really possibly change that outside of Steph is Wiggins and Kaminga, right? So, like, to me, if if it's either or, they need to make that decision and ship one of them out, like, bottom line, or they need to figure out a way for them to play together. Because either way, if you pick the top seven players, if you pick the top five, like, Kaminga's yeah. in the top five, man. Well, like, how about this? To me, their highest upside playoff closing lineup, lineup, whatever you want to call it, to me, still remains highest upside. They're not necessarily always playing the best, but it's Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Kaminga, Draymond. Small ball, wings, defense, your two shooters. Athleticism. Uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, you, have, you know, the extra playmaker with Draymond because you don't really get that, like, passing and playmaking with Wiggins and Kaminga. Like, to me, that five – needs to get a an extended run when Draymond's back. So I I can't remember who I was talking to about this. It was about the fact that what you're talking about, Marcus, about how hard it is to implement new things once season started if you weren't already doing it in training camp. And I think people really lose sight of the fact that there's really, especially with this new newer NBA schedule, there's like no time to practice things at all and when you are practicing it's not like it's not the time to be implementing new rotations and all the above a lot of the times with the warriors every single game is a new rotation because someone just got hurt or something like something just happened i'll never forget andrew wiggins hurting his thumb 
slamming his finger into a car door. And that is, you know, another reason why they have to switch up the rotation. But so without the lack, with the lack of time to be able to actually implement new rotations, that's where I struggle because Kaminga and Andrew Wiggins, to me, when I think about the two of them, I absolutely do want them to play together. But I need one or the other of them to do something better than the other. Like if Jonathan Kaminga ups his three-point game and becomes a better three, you know, catch and shoot three-point shooter, and like that becomes kind of more of his bread and butter, and Andrew Wiggins has a drive game. Right now, I just feel like they do the same thing. That's great on a defensive perspective. That's awesome. Like that they're both long and athletic and can and can guard the best player on the other side. But on an offensive perspective, I'm like, I just feel like it's crowded. I feel like you they're know doing the same thing. You know what? More than they do the same thing, I think one of the big things is they don't do the same thing, and they both don't rebound like they should for their position. And also, they're not both of them. Well, especially I think Kamiga more than Wiggins, but both of them struggle off ball defense, right? <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah. one is on the yeah. ball, the other is like, okay, what am I doing? That's but right. That's a great point. Just getting lost on defense sometimes, both of them. And it's a little bit more surprising to Wiggins being the, you know, being the more vet- veteran player of the two. But I don't know. I just And then I struggle with who could be around them to properly space the floor. Cause- but see, that's that to me, I think that's the biggest issue that Steve Kerr has a problem with and the reason they don't work in his offense, right? Mm. That you just got to have two ball handlers on the floor. It's why Pajemski's playing so much. When yeah, they did, right. when they did, did play two wings, who were the wings later? It was KD and Andre Iguodala. You know what I'm saying? It was like, they, Boy, you, if you know, who, if you, you know who's about to, you know who's about to be that extra ball handler, Corey Joseph. No, Draymond Green. Oh yeah, Draymond I mean, Green. Yeah, that's where be, that's where it helps oh, you, Draymond right, Green. Right, right. But like as it is now, with Wiggins and Kaminga and Clay, you got three people who won't be able. Like you can't play stuff off the ball. Like Steph's got to be on the ball, which means these guys have to be, you know, like doing something, slash and moving, and they don't have that chemistry because it's not developed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the Warriors' best offense, the way it runs, it has to be able to have Steph on the ball and Steph off the ball. Off the ball. You can't do that. That's why he plays so many. That's why he play, got to play two guards, right? Right. And if if you put Wiggins and Kaminga out there, and if you throw Looney or TJD with them, or Darko, whoever, and you got Clay out there because Clay has to be out there, that means Steph is the only ball handler. And the offense is not set up to be maximized, at least for long stretches anyway, with Steph just being the one pick and roll guy. Because all they're going to do is trap, and then somebody else has to make a play. And then the there's dribble. there's and, the turnover opportunity right there. But but I think I think Kaminga can do it. I think he can do it. I think he needs reps at it. I think his skill set promotes like he can do it. He goes to the hole with more reckless abandon in the way Wiggins mm-hmm. used to, but doesn't do it anymore. So I do think he can do it. I just think they need reps. But Draymond helps solve that issue because now you can have Steph off the ball. And so you can go on the ball, he can go off the ball. And if you can do that, Steve Kerr feels way more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, all right. Paul's, Chris Paul's about to be out for a while. I mean, Steve Kerr mentioned post game that 30 minutes a night. I'm pretty sure Chris Paul leads the team in like minutes like total this year. Um, or he's up there. Uh, and he's 
Steve Kerr says it's, it's going to be maybe some Pajemski at point guard. There's going to be some Corey Joseph. You saw Corey Joseph tonight, I'm sure. That's just going to electrify fans. Um, and then your Moody. I mean, he said tonight he's excited to get Moody back in there. So I don't know where. Where, how do you see this uh, rotation reforming over the next few games? Yeah, who starts, Zena? Who you start in place of Chris Paul? Because that's mm. question one, right? Like, who's taking the start? Next? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Brandon go, comes back. I think Brandon comes back. Over um, Wiggs? <laughs> yeah, no, I do. And it's actually to the point that you just made. Exactly. You yep. want someone that's going to be able to handle the ball and also push the pace responsibly. And right now... Wig, I mean, tonight he didn't play really well. And even when the Knights that he is playing well, it's not in that position. It's not in the position of controlling the offense, setting things up. It's it's Wiggins going down to the post and, you know, being able to do what he, he does to his defender down there. So, yeah, I think Brandon comes back. Um, I, I'm going to need Brandon, though, to dribble into the paint and know where he's going <laughs> sometimes. I just you know? need him to look at the rim. I just need him to look I at the rim. I need him to look at the rim, you know? I just need him to look at the You know, there's some, there's some moments where I'm like, where where are you going, boo? Where you do? What you doing? But, uh, no, I think Brandon would be a, a very capable uh, person to come back into that starting lineup. I, I liked what he did when he did come in um, right after Draymond went out. So, yeah. How about Moody? I, I mean, I think Moody gets back into the rotation, but I don't. I, what if I, you started him? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting thought because if I mean, I guess they did it with Chris Paul, but you basically lock it in Pajemski for thirty minutes if you start him and put him with the second unit. So that's one of the ways you could kind of preserve Pajemski with the second unit and not like just blow up his minutes is by starting Moody. Mm-hmm. Remember. Steve Kerr used to do this. He'd always like, you know, Damian Lee would get spots. So he'd go from out of the rotation to suddenly yeah, starting. He'd go to back to he go right, back right, to the yeah. bench. He'd go to the back of the bench and not ruin people's rotation. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm gonna say Wiggins. I'm saying Wiggins. You're saying Wiggins. I'm saying Wiggins. I'm saying he starts Wiggins. What's the safest way to put Kaminga in them together? Kaminga and Wiggins together. You probably don't want to try it at the end of games until you know it works. Start him. Yeah. Why don't uh okay? I mean, I I prefer. Mm, I, I don't know. The ball handler thing is going like to be an risky. issue, though. The ball handler thing, but hey, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a big I'm, fan I'm, of put the ball in step heads. Like I've been saying that for years. So I'm very scared of them starting games out with just discombobulation. With maybe you know, with between Jonathan aggressively attacking the basket the way he should be. And Andrew Wiggins doing the same thing, sure, but no one being in a position to hold and do the things that they need to do with the ball while Steph does his thing to get open. Like, think I'm, that's what I'm trying to think. Like, who's gonna who's gonna just, be on the ball as Steph goes around his screens, et cetera, holding the ball and doing okay, the right? Like, just don't put Steph around screens. Put the ball in his hand and put a high, you know, put Steph in the pick and roll, and then either Kaminga or Wiggins in a dunker spot. The question is, like, mm. if you, they trap him, who goes to the high post? And that's where you might end up starting Looney in the, oh, you know, okay. in the high post spot. But, like, I say put the ball in Steph's head and start that way and, and play off of that. It gets Steph active early, and you got somebody in the dunker spot. You got somebody who 
can slash baseline and cut. Like, I, I'm, I agree with what you're saying, and it's definitely a part. I just said it. Like, they like stuff off the ball. Yeah. Uh, but I say, hey, put wings in there. Start with Steph. Uh, maybe not Sunday, though, because Steph is, Steph is tired. I'm going with That's what makes me think. Does, okay, so Marcus, you, you know, do you think that Steph likes to start the game with the ball in his hand? I don't care what Steph likes. They 15 and 16 <laughs> and 17. Like, sure. No, you're right. You're right. I just feel like. Yeah, if they were, Slater, if they was 24 or 9, then all right, you can talk to me. No, I guess playing. what I'm saying is, do you think his game will get activated that way? I think, and I've said this millions of times, and I think it's even more true this year. The most important thing for the Warriors is for Steph to play well. All of the things that they try to do with the offense to get guys going is accomplished easier and more effectively with Steph playing well. You want to get a clay a good shot? Let Steph let Steph score twelve in the first quarter. You want to get Wiggins? Other people getting him the ball. No, no, I I, I don't care. Like to me. If you put the the best way to the Steph Steph is most effective with the ball in his hand, like it just it, it puts everything in play. It puts shooting in play. It puts passing in play. It puts fouls in play. Like he's getting held off the ball. He's thirty five years old. He's about to be thirty six. Off the ball life a lot is just a lot. And on top of that, these athletic people are jumping passing lanes. They're long. Like right, it's right. not like you just can't. I was just talking with this about somebody. You, you like you get into the playoffs, and this is what happened with the Lakers, right? Like. LeBron knows the system like the back of his hand. He's telling him what to do. You're not beating teams with back cuts. You're not beating teams <laughs> with mistakes, like right, trying to right. coax them into mistakes. The the deeper you get, the more yeah. the more likely it is you're just gonna have to beat your man. You have to beat a good defender. You have to be ready for the help. So to me, the defense reacts more to Steph than it does. To slip screens, backdoor, like yeah, you get them, yeah. you get them a few times, but good defense is going to be ready for it. But they never ready for Steph. So to me, if Steph starts early, it opens up all the things they want to open anyway. Because now they have to overreact to Steph. Because if he hits three shots in the first quarter, they're freaking out now. Like now everything is open. Instead, they let Steph play passive and try to use the offense to get everybody going. And if it don't work, now Steph is like, oh, it's not working. We only have. 18 points, let me try to save the day. And we've seen that movie before. So I understand all of the reasons why Steve don't want to do it. I would just do it differently considering what's around. And then maybe when Draymond gets back, you kind of switch to the other way. But yeah, that makes I, just, sense. I feel like Wiggins and Kamiga need time on the court. But the bigger deal, Slater, you want to uh, explain, I've seen a lot of this on social media. Uh yeah, I know. Obviously, I already know where you're going. I already know obviously, where you're going. the trade deadline <laughs> is a month away, and yeah. Chris Paul's injury sounds like it'll keep him out past the trade deadline. So there's a very real possibility that Chris Paul has played his last game as a Warrior. I'm not saying it's probable or likely. I'm just saying it's possible, or is it possible? Does this? Well, well, so this this was an, an idea floating out there that this injury could really, you know, impact Chris Paul's trade. Uh, value for the Warriors. And the truth is that it probably not because if the Warriors were to trade Chris Paul, it would very likely be to a more like rebuilding type team, a team that is given assets and, and Chris Paul is more viewed as an expiring contract, uh, contract, potentially a, a buyout type contract, right? With his 30 million being completely non-guaranteed next year. So um, him being available or not available, doesn't necessarily change 
what he would or wouldn't get them on the open market. So I think that that's something that I'm sure Marcus, me and you are going to have to repeat plenty over the next month or so. But but I do not think his injury tonight really does necessarily change. Like I said, what you know, what you could or couldn't get for him. What it probably does change is, you know, if he's not able to help them, then suddenly it is more of an empty contract that, that you know, that maybe they do have to, to look at moving more than if it's actually Chris Paul helping them play. But th- that's probably dependent on how long he's going to be out. They don't really know that yet. They, uh, you know, he's going to, like I said, have surgery next week. So, uh, but hopefully that clears stuff up a little bit. Well, that's a great point. Like if he's out eight weeks, and those eight weeks pretty much will determine whether or not <laughs> you go for you get that five or you are not. You know you're and you're battling for the ten seed. Like, oh right, does that yeah. make him not? Does that make it pointless to keep? because oh. clearly he was brought here for the playoffs. For the, that's what he was for the brought playoffs, here for, literally. Right, so. That's an int- I, n- I didn't think about that player until you said it. Like, what what do you do if this is eight weeks and he's out two months to March, and the season is decided while he's out? Essentially, does that give you any more motivation to say, eh, we we need to do something to to get in the playoffs when he was supposed to be the help for us? Very interesting point. I don't know what my answer is. O- options will be explored. I will just say that. All options. Uh, I think a lot of options are on the table at the deadline. I do think this this changes Paul's situation a little bit, while also not really changing his overall value because it's mostly, to me, considering the teams you'd likely trade him to, it's the values of you know the the expiring contract. And we posed the question to someone, and like I, I kind of expected them to have a little bit of concern about it, and they. They just didn't have any concern. Like, yeah, nah, <laughs> it won't. It won't affect it at all. Which was very clarifying for me. Oh, I'm gonna need to know who was that off the off the. Pod. Uh, it was Tim <laughs> Cowcom. No, it oh. wasn't. I'm just messing with you. It wasn't. It was with you. We don't reveal our sources here. <laughs> okay. All right. Excuse me. All right, y'all. Uh, I don't got anything else. I don't know if we all do. Um, no lively conversation and go ahead Zena you close it no what no this is y'all's pod I appreciate you guys having me as a guest uh, it has been quite the fun covering the Warriors in the last particularly two days but um oh you know what we'll close it out predictions against the Raptors who just got beat by the Kings Thoughts? I mean they they need they need to win that one Raptors aren't very good. They're they're integrating pieces. You know, will Pascal Siakam be on the Raptors by Sunday? Uh, you know, who knows? Um, so, I I would guess win. I think you know both these last two games on the home stand are winnable. Raptors, and then you get two days off before a Pelicans game. So, um, you got a chance to be what that would make them nineteen and eighteen heading on a road trip. Uh, that's they need to go try to get that done. Over hey, five hundred. I'm predicting twenty points from Corey Joseph on Sunday in the Warriors. Ooh. His hometown team. I thought you just said you were out of the the, the, the prediction game, Marcus. Uh, no, just the just the Kaminga minutes. But I am predicting Corey Joseph, who will be playing now, gets to gets back in the rotation 
for the game against he he go he knows the six is gonna be watching. Right, this right, time right, right. Corey Joseph Shaw. Toronto's coming to town. He he's gonna be on 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 cam at home. So big <laughs> night for Corey Joseph. Book it, book it, Slater. Book it. All right. Well, I'm gonna book in the podcast and say uh, Marcus Thompson, old Corey Joseph, take will take us out, and we will talk to you at some point next week. I believe. So thank y'all for coming on. Deuces. Thanks, y'all. Bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.